Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you're just now getting to work or have to go run off and do something else away from the radio, remember that you can still hear today's full edition of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. If you go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts, you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today and take us wherever you want and listen to us whenever you are ready. We're also later today going to talk a lot about schools in the state of Michigan. We just got numbers from the most recent tests that kids took, uh, the MSTEP, the SAT. How do they do? How does that inform the decisions that people are making about where they send their kids to school? And how does it tell us we're doing as a state on education. We're going to talk with State Superintendent Brian Whiston first, and then we are going to talk to uh, reporter Chastity Pratt-Dossi and Brian Gutman, who's the Director of Public Engagement for the Education Trust Midwest. And of course, we're going to hear from you during that segment. What do you think about education in Michigan? What do those scores tell you about how we're doing with schools, and what are you looking forward to, or what are you fretting about as you send your kids off to school? Most of us will send our kids to school next week after Labor Day, but there are lots of people actually who have already sent their kids to school. So uh, we're going to want to hear from you for sure during that segment. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Okay, up first, we recently were talking on this program about the First Amendment and freedom of speech. What kind of speech is protected? And do you support the right of hate groups to hold rallies, even if you vehemently disagree with what they're saying? The American Civil Liberties Union has long been willing to represent these groups in court to defend their free speech rights, and the ACLU has caught a lot of flack for that. It represented the hate groups that rallied in Charlottesville in court to make sure they were able to hold those protests Since then, the organization has said it's changing its stance on representing these groups in the future. It says it's no longer going to represent groups who want to carry firearms during protests. What's the right approach when you're an organization whose mission is to defend civil rights and civil liberties? And some of the clients, though, are that you are asked to take on engage in constitutionally protected speech, but it is hateful speech. I'm going to have a really long conversation about that this morning uh, with you, the listeners, of course. Uh, You can join the conversation at 313-577-1019. What do you think about what the ACLU's role should be in dealing with hate speech? Uh, Also, chime in if you want to talk about hate speech more generally. Do you think uh, it is free speech? Should it be protected? Or should we be talking about where the line is between protected and un? protected speech. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. But I want to kick off the conversation today with Carrie Moss, who is the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan. Carrie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So I think this is one of the more thorny issues that the ACLU has to deal with. And it's not new. Uh, we should start with that. This has been going on for a very long time. Think of 
the Nazis marching in Skokie. That was when I was a teenager. I remember reading about that and and hearing about the debate about, okay, uh, these are people with really, really odious views, but what they're saying is protected under our constitution. And the question always arises, okay, so who provides that protection? We all know that Speech does need protection in our society, even though the Constitution guarantees us that uh, that we're allowed to say the things that are on our mind. We have to be vigilant about that. And the ACLU is the, th- the organization that comes to people's minds when we think about that vigilance, the way that we ensure that people are able to speak. I want to give you a little chance up front here to talk about how you think those th- issues through, how the ACLU uh, thinks those issues through, and what brought about uh, the change that was announced after Charlottesville in the way that you're thinking about these things? Well, let me first say that, um, you know, what happened in Charlottesville was absolutely heart-wrenching. And, you know, we're all sickened by the violence. We're sickened by the loss of Heather Hayes' life. We are sickened by the racism and bigotry that was uh, full-on display um, at uh, then and you know and, and it's been on display for for quite a while mm-hmm. it just um, certainly roiled out of control at that um, march and you know the f- first thing I also want to say is that there's a big difference between the you know the free associ- the, fir- the first amendment's guaranteed at the free association of ideas and and you know that guarantees the protection of the free association of ideas but not the uh, free association of bullets, mm-hmm. right? So we, the First Amendment does not protect violence. And in fact, the Wall Street Journal misrepresented the ACLU as having a new position post-Charlottesville. Actually, going back to the 1930s, the ACLU has declined to accept representation of groups that, um, you know, want to carry arms or, you know, in any way kind of, uh, you know, present an imminent threat mm-hmm. um, to, to the public space. And so why was then the group in Charlottesville initially represented if, if I mean, this was a torch march and people did have weapons, why, why were they able to get the ACLU's representation up front? They actually swore an oath. I believe they signed an affidavit that they would not engage in violence. And the city did not put on uh, display or present any evidence that there was a risk of violence. And in fact, you know, I think the what happened in Charlottesville is less about free speech and it's really more about uh, failure of policing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the police's behavior there was absolutely shockingly incompetent. Um, they, among other things, funneled the protesters and the counter-protesters through one street. And if you contrast what happened there with how the police handled the Boston protests, it's really dramatic. You can, you know, there were great aerial photographs showing 20,000 people in Boston protesting peacefully, counter-protesting peacefully, uh, and nobody was hurt. And, uh, you know, the police in Charlottesville stood by with their arms down while Nazis took out tear gas and, uh, you know, and, and sprayed it on people. And so it was uh, it was really, I think, a, a serious failure of policing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Carrie Moss, the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan. We're talking about free speech and hate speech. How do we draw the distinctions between the two? How does the ACLU see its role as one of the nation's most prominent 
civil rights and civil liberties organization. How does it see its role when it comes to defending hate speech versus uh, versus violence? Or what's that line between hate speech and free speech? Or is there a line? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Carrie, I want to talk uh, uh, just about this line, uh, the line drawing that we do uh, when we talk about speech in this country. I think it's murkier than most people believe it to be. Uh, I, I know that in my mind, it's really difficult sometimes to draw that line between, and I don't want to say free speech and hate speech, because I know that hate speech is actually protected, but hate speech and incitement, right? Uh, let's use that word instead of hate speech. How do we determine when, for instance, in, in Charlottesville, that somebody who's organizing a march to make a point that that is detestable but still protected uh, under under the First Amendment is at the same time inciting something that uh, inciting violence, which which is not protected uh, under under the Constitution. You're not allowed to do that. But but how do we tell the difference? How do we know beforehand when people are applying for permits, for instance, and how do we know when they're doing it um, that that there's that people have crossed that line? Well, no matter where we drop the line, draw the line, we also, I think, have to uh, really elevate and amplify our own First Amendment rights to speak out against hatred and bigotry, and and to make sure that in the ACLU's work, that we are uh, investing and in, in heavily in programming for racial equity, uh, in which I. I'm very proud of that programming that we've done around the Flint water crisis and protecting immigrants' rights and working to stop racial profiling. But the question you raise about how do you define incitement, there's no neat definition. And in fact, the you know since the First Amendment began to be interpreted by the courts back in the 1920s and 30s, you know, it's been an evolution. And it's we really, as a country, and the judicial system did not begin thinking hard about the question of hate speech until the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So we're still very young in this thought process and in trying to figure out how to do it. What we worry about is that the law as it exists isn't weakened so that it can be used to stifle uh, the kind of speech we like. And if you think about some of the comments that have been coming from this administration, from the president, from Jeff Sessions, I sh- sure don't want them deciding what uh, fake news is, right? And and uh, picking and choosing which media outlets uh, uh, can operate mm-hmm. or, you know, which protesters, you know, they've called Black Lives Matter terrorists. Sure. And so um, our job is to make sure that the First Amendment uh, remains robust and is, is, and is, you know, uh, pure right can be can be defended no matter what, and and that's something that makes us a little different than other legal groups that might represent hate hate speech groups. That mm-hmm. is, we have integrity. When we go to a court, no matter if we're appearing before a conservative or a liberal judge, they know that it's the First Amendment that we are protecting. It's not the groups, as opposed to uh, counsel that that one of these hate groups might retain. Yeah. Uh, 
when when you guys are thinking about this, um, I also wonder whether one of the whether one of the distinctions is about. Um, uh, I, I wonder whether whether the distinctions are also about uh, again this this idea of how 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 exalted I guess you think the First Amendment is. You're a civil liberties organization. You're a civil rights organization, and you can have ultimate reverence for the First Amendment, but also have to balance that against the other things that you believe strongly. Your civil rights organization, for instance. And so the idea that you would embrace free speech over the idea of protecting somebody else's civil rights who might be at the, you know, the opposite end of that speech, I think is, is a, it's, a, it's a strange assumption, but I think it's one that a lot of people make. They say you should be in favor of free speech uh, over everything. And I don't know that that's necessarily what your what your mission is. I don't think that that's an a- accurate representation. I mean, let, let's say, first of all, we don't by any means take every case uh, that could, comes our way. And in fact, in my 20 years here as director, we have never provided direct representation to a hate group here in Michigan. We've mm-hmm. provided amicus briefs, which mm-hmm. are friend of the court briefs, yeah. when we thought the First Amendment was being weakened in a significant way by the courts. Or when speech was being repressed before it happened, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, when a judge, for example, put Terry Jones in jail before he said anything, um, you know, we stood up in that situation uh, again in an amicus capacity. But we absolutely have to uh, treat with the same profundity and dedication our right to equal protection of the laws Mm -hmm. and the right to enforcement of our civil rights laws. And we have to recognize that this is a country that has never grappled with its legacy of slavery. We have never dealt with it um, adequately, either through reparations or through um, dealing with things like these Confederate statutes and, you know, and, and honoring, um, you know, all the people whose lives were sacrificed during our period of slavery. And so, and, and the way in which that lives today and, and through our institutions. So uh, equality concerns are, are absolutely uh, crucial. Yeah. And we consider that um, very heavily when we decide whether or not to take a case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to uh, join the conversation. Uh, we've got a really robust conversation already going on Facebook. Kimberly on Facebook says, uh, I feel torn. Do we want free speech for all or just for some? When it comes to things like blasphemy laws, I find them abhorrent and a surefire way to criminalize free thought. I also don't want people promoting and platforming genocide and ethnic cleansing Though I think Kimberly is really reflecting that sort of complicated analysis that a lot of people uh, are are undergoing here. Uh, Nick on Facebook says no and quit using slippery slope arguments. Burning a flag is one thing when you're protesting an unjust war. Hiding behind free speech to hate, intimidate, threaten, and instigate others while carrying weapons and symbols of evil that Americans fought to destroy is totally different and indefensible. Uh, let's go to the phones here. And again, 313-577-1019 is the number to join the phones. Uh, Dan in Southfield, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, 
I'm wondering, and I'm thinking back to the decision in Skokie, Illinois, where it was found that the uh, Nazi march was inherently a threat. That that it was a it was that it would be just the same as me walking up to you and telling you I'm going to kill you. And these clans and Nazi groups mean to threaten you. They're 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 trying to threaten you, and they're doing it, and they're just cutting the fine line, or they think they are. But it's inherent. It's obvious that they're trying to threaten you. Yeah. Dan, I think that's a great point. I think it gets to my question about that line between speech and incitement, right? So so if somebody puts on a Klan uniform and gets a bunch of other people to do the same and goes out to a public square and holds a rally, isn't that incitement? Isn't that in and of itself across that line of, of speech and into this, this other realm. And the Supreme Court's grappled with what, <clears throat> how do you define incitement, right? <clears throat> right? What is really <clears throat> a threat? And I think um, one thing that has changed in recent years is, is uh, social media um, <clears throat> now allows you to get more information about, uh, like, let's say, for example, what is it that the hate group is actually saying their intentions are on social mm-hmm. media? Mm-hmm. Are they trying to, you know, are they encouraging people to come to a rally with with guns? And and I do think that we have to look at that. We've got to be do more than just ask them to promise not to engage in incite violence, but we have to really look at their at their past behavior. In Charlottesville, there had been a rally by the same group in April that had not turned violent. But um, you know, I, one of the one of the things we do talk about is that inevitably when you start restricting, you start defining incitement broadly, it ends up getting turned against the groups with less power. So, for example, in the 80s and the 90s, a lot of universities started to enact hate speech codes. And it was you know, meant to protect um, primarily African-American students here at the University of Michigan. And of the... Um, uh, Two prosecutions, I think, that happened at the University of Michigan, both were against black students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, you really have to think this through. How is it that if you weaken the law, it's going to end up um, hurting those with the least amount of power? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really important part of the analysis is understanding that the history of this country is to treat unfairly massive numbers of people on the basis of who they are and uh, if you, in the name of sort of protecting them, weaken uh, the constitutional standards that are supposed to protect them, then you aren't actually protecting them. You're actually putting them in a more vulnerable position. And that's really hard to think through, I think, when, when you're looking at someone in a Klan uniform, for instance. Well, in fact, I mean, when, if you look at back in the 1930s and 40s when First Amendment law really got born, the government was turning its power on labor organizers. They put Eugene Debs in jail, uh-huh. right, mm-hmm. for getting up and talking about workers' rights and, and um, uh, you know, birth control. And, you know, those the government defined speech, right, not in a way that favored yes. most working people. Yeah, yeah. I think during the Civil Rights Movement, mm-hmm. the way the Civil First rights? Amendment was was often interpreted to prevent some of the things that African-Americans were trying to do to assert their rights, uh, which— The if, NAACP was accused yes. of trying to incite violence in organizing sit-down protests. That's right. That's right. Dan uh, in Southfield, thanks very much 
for your call. Uh, again, we've got a pretty good conversation going on Facebook. Jeff on Facebook says they should defend all people's right to free speech. That doesn't mean you have to agree with what they say when groups or individuals are singled out for not having this basic constitutional right. Then that document becomes meaningless. Uh, again, Dan, thanks very much for your call. Let's go to Shar in Hazel Park. Shar, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh-huh. Um, and thank you, Carrie, um, for all the, the hard work that the ACLU continues to do. Thank you. Um, I know that the, you know, resources um, are a big problem. And, and, um, and so the ACLU, like a lot of organizations, is spread pretty thin. Um, I'm actually sitting uh, in the parking lot of a methadone clinic, not for myself, but for a friend who I take, bring here every day. Um, and I have a lot, um, I, I guess one of my concerns is this idea, um, the notion of intersectionality and the layers of privilege or lack of privilege. And um, so um, this is a huge concern to me, but Specifically, I would I, w- I would like it if you uh, could speak to um, the trans community here in Michigan and what developments um, have there been positively or negatively, and um, what what might be the ACLU strategy going forward. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Great question. Thanks very much for calling. Uh, Carrie, go ahead. Yeah, no, such a such an important issue. You know, we have been advocating for a long time in the legislature that our state human rights law be expanded to protect uh, not only uh, people based on sexual orientation, but also on gender identity. Um, we, we went lost that fight a few years ago. We're, we're not done, but working with Equality Michigan to, to keep it that. Um, you know, I have a lawyer on staff who is fighting every day for the trans community. And in fact, just this week was able to get an insurance company to change its mind and fund, um, you know, some medical procedures that, that were needed. Um, we just, with a number of other national partners, filed a case over the president's decision to ban trans uh, military uh, trans people from the military. So so this is a big priority for the organization. And, you know, hearts and minds change slowly, but I think back to how recently, uh, you know, we had Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and now, look, we've got um, the, uh, uh, who was it, McMaster, mm-hmm. coming out just this week, you know, saying that he really wasn't planning to implement the ban that the president has uh, just instituted. Mattis. Yeah, yeah. Mattis, right. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, uh, Shar. Again, thanks very much for the call and the question. Let's go to Mike in Berkeley. Mike, welcome to Detroit today. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, my question is: Why do we not see the Nazis and white supremacists in the same way we see the ISIS? Um, I don't think if ISIS wanted to have a demonstration in Dearborn to, you know, kind of say that that we want Sharia law all throughout the United States in the same way Nazis would want to. I would assume uh, genocide, all of the unwanted people in the United States, why are they not held at the same moral point? Yeah, Mike, I think that's a great question, but I actually think the answer to your question is that they would be. I don't know that there would be anything <clears throat> in the law that would prevent ISIS from holding a rally in the United States. I mean, what what, what the law would say is that they can't, you know, they can't commit, ter- commit terrorist acts and that they'd be prosecuted for those, but, but Carrie, I'll 
give you a chance to address those questions I, too. I think you did just fine. Oh, there we go. Look at that. I got it right. <laughs> Mike, thanks very much. But I, but again, there's that line, you know, who can do what and say what and, and what point does it become a threat or incitement? Okay. Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the American Civil Liberties Union of Michigan. As always, thanks for coming in and talking about these issues on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. We'll catch up with you soon. Up next, we're going to talk about a new list released by the state that ranks high schools for their SAT scores, among other things. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Detroit Today.